You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast with Chuck and Rachel. Uh, Unfortunately, it's been several weeks since we've done this, not for lack of trying. Um, We've had so far two failed uh, podcast recordings that unfortunately have been lost uh, to electronic issues. They were brilliant podcasts, though. Well, yeah. Brilliant podcasts, failure (laughs) on the recording uh, side of things. So Uh, sorry about that. Uh, We still like talking to you guys and... uh, we are hopeful that this one will work today. Yeah, I feel bad. I, I think people think that maybe we just like you know gave up on it, gave up on the whole thing. Like, forget it. No more week yeah. ahead. And actually, although couldn't be. To be fair, yeah. I have not received any emails from anyone uh, saying, "Why haven't you guys made a week ahead podcast?" So you know, maybe maybe nobody cares. Oh, I have. I, I'm, oh, okay. My inbox is <laughs> flooded with pe- no. I have not. Okay. okay. Um, no, but uh, I do feel bad because some of this stuff was pretty good. So. Yeah, we'll make do. So let's talk about uh, last week's event in Salt Lake City. That was a pretty mega event. Um, yeah. Um, actually, I'm 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 growing kind of used to these mega events. We've had two <laughs> this month that were insanely huge, big productions, and the one in Salt Lake City was yeah. I I actually uploaded this morning some of the photos that I took. Um, oh and, great. Yeah, I got one of like the control panel. Um, whenever you have, I mean, I, I played in bands a lot and played music all over the place and played, you know, I, I played in audiences where we had 10,000 people. And when you have like more than four people, uh, doing sound and audio and video, you, you got a pretty big production. Um, the one earlier this month in Minneapolis that had at least 15 people, um, this one in Salt Lake City, I think, had five or six, and yeah, it was, it was a pretty big deal. Um, it's a is a great chance to share our message with a group that invited me back. I, I think this is the third time I've spoken to this group, but the second time at this particular conference. I spoke last year at a breakout, and then this year they invited me back to do the keynote and then a, a follow up breakout session, and they were both really well attended and, you know, very, um, uh, a, a lot of interaction and, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. I think people really were into the message and, you know, it's funny because everybody I talked to there, it's, it's one of these places Utah is a little bit like Texas, um, in the sense that they, they, they seem to start every conversation with, well, we're really growing. Uh, we're growing very fast. Our population is going to double in the next, you know, however many years. And it's it's really hard to get them to step back and kind of say, okay, well, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Uh, you know, fast growth does cover up a lot of ills, but only temporarily. So let's actually like talk about the real underlying issue. And when you can get them to do that, they totally get it. I mean, it's, it is a lot like Texas and the fact that everybody's kind of uneasy with it, mm-hmm. but the, their base assumption for the conversation is we are growing. We are going to continue to grow. We are going to double. I, I, I heard that like 10 times. We're going to double in population in the next two decades. I'm like, why, 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 why would you, 
I mean, why is that? I mean, is that like written on a stone tablet somewhere? Like, I, I don't, I don't know where that comes from. But uh, it was a good, you know, it was a good conversation. And there's a lot of, it's a lot of people trying to do really good things in in Utah. I I love going there. No, wasn't this event an event that last year you almost didn't make it on stage at times? Yeah, no, I I I didn't make it on stage. In fact. Um, the host this year, we were laughing about that. Thankfully, I'm glad we were (laughs) laughing. Uh, it was my worst, like it was my worst time I had all last year. So yeah, I, for some reason I thought Salt Lake city was the, um, West coast time zone Mm. and it's actually the mountain time zone. And, uh, so I last year was, yeah, I had all my clothes pressed and everything and all ready to go, but I'm sitting there in like my pajamas, like, you know, uh, doing something on a computer and there's a knock at the door and it was the organizer of the conference saying, Hey, um, are you ready to go? And I'm like, yeah, but I got an hour. Like, no, you're on right now. Like actually five minutes ago. Um, so yeah, like quick, you know, throw my clothes on, run down the hall, like trying to tie my tie as I'm, you know, running down the hall. Uh, got there, you know, the computer was not set up. So I had mine and while they got it all set up and going, I started talking and it actually worked out. Okay. I mean, obviously it worked out well enough where they invited me back this year, but I felt like a, you know, like a real idiot. I mean, who, who does that? But now you made sure to set your watch correctly. Uh, I was, I was at the session like an hour early. (laughs) (laughs) and got like, you know, for the keynote, got like everything set up. We did sound check. Everything's good. Um, yeah. So I was, did not want to be late again. That's for sure. This week you're speaking at another conference. I'm not sure this one might not be quite as big, but it is the Tennessee chapter of the American planning association conference in, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. They actually, um, called, uh, over a year ago and reserved us for this time. They like the, the most uh, lo- long distance planned event that w- that we've had. Um, I've been to Knoxville before and I've spoken in front of a couple groups there. Uh, so this is kind of a return trip, but it's going to be a bigger event and uh, more, you know, reach more people. Uh, they actually have me scheduled doing things all day. So I'm flying in late on Wednesday and going to be really, really busy all day on Thursday. Um, I'm giving the, uh, the curbside chat, but I'm, I'm doing uh, a, a, a transportation presentation that's going to be far more in-depth uh, than that. So, yeah, it's, it's part of uh, an overall conversation they're having on regional transportation planning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going uh, to be very helpful. I am also going to be passing through Tennessee uh at the start of next week on uh, my road trip to uh, New Orleans. We're going to stop in some Civil War battlegrounds on the way. So, Well, I tell you, Psyched about that. have you been to Tennessee before? Uh, I've been to Nashville once, but okay. that's all. I, I, I really have this special affinity for Tennessee. Growing up, it was, it was like the mythic place that my dad, for some reason, wanted to live in. Mm-hmm. So anytime, like, you know, it, it was... Anytime it was like brutally cold and snowing and, you know, like the, the septic system froze <laughs> the pipes, in, like we couldn't get water in the house. Um, yeah. you know, anytime of that, it was like, Oh, I just want to move to Tennessee. Um, <laughs> 
that my dad uh my dad had my dad had polio when he was a kid, so his legs are really screwed up. So when the weather started to go bad, um, he really felt it more than anybody else, um, like, a, like a lot of pain. And his, his one leg has very low circulation, so as soon as we get into like October, November, it actually feels like uh, an icicle. I mean, it's just, it's just cold, cold. So it was like all winter, every winter, it was this lament, oh, I want to move to Tennessee. So... It it took on like mythical proportions in my life, but since you know being an adult, I, I love Memphis and obviously the the things they're doing there is so inspiring. Nashville is a blast, and I have to say Knoxville, um, I thought was go- a gorgeous city uh, with a lot of great stuff going on. You've got the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, and it, it's just one of these states that I think is really um, very beautiful. Uh, there's a, there's a it's a lot of great stuff about Tennessee. It's since it's been a little while since we've done this podcast, we haven't been able to acknowledge uh, new members that have joined us. Um, so I want to thank all of the new members that have joined us over the last month. And specifically last week, we had several new members, Peter Brown from Houston, Texas, Christopher Palmer from Watertown, Massachusetts, David Pittman from West Peoria, Illinois, and Catherine Humphrey from Silsby, Texas. Thank you guys so much for joining us in supporting this movement. I think we should let members know, too, to keep your eye on your inbox. Um, next week, we, we're going we're gonna to be sending you something. So, um, big, big. Yeah, something big, real big. Uh, no, but we've got a thank you for being a member, and that will be coming to you at some point next week. So keep an eye on your inbox. Last week was Strong Schools Week. Um, we had a lot of conversation about school location and transportation issues for kids trying to get to school. Uh, we talked about urban schools versus suburban schools. Yeah, how did you feel about our school campaign last week? It's really interesting because we reran, I, I want to say, two of my old posts, and mm-hmm. old being like, 2010 2011 so really old stuff yeah and you know the first time around when i ran those it was really a local audience that i was having this conversation with and those pieces were um part of the like laughing chuck off as the 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 crazy fringe guy you know it was there were a few people that i talked to about them here locally about some of these ideas but it was not you know, the conversation was just here and it wasn't uh, as robust. Now, wow, I love uh, getting the feedback from people from all over the country. And, you know, I, one of the pieces I wrote was about busing. And it is very much a reality in my school district as well as a number of kind of these larger rural school districts across the country mm-hmm. that we subsidize through our busing policies, uh, people who, uh, for lifestyle reasons, have chosen to live a long ways away from school. Mm-hmm. Um, in my community, basically the, the poorest people in the region, uh, for the most part, live within a mile or two of the school. They live in the, the poorer urban neighborhoods. The wealthy people, uh, and, and if you go to the other extreme, uh, there's a, you know, a group that I kind of pointed out here locally uh, live on the far side of one of the nicest lakes, maybe like 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes from town. 
And, you know, these are like multi-million dollar homes and large lots on, on this very expensive lake. Mm-hmm. Our, our school district policy is that if you live within a, mi- a mile of the school, you, you don't get any busing. And we live right now like 1.1 mile away from school. And my kids get – we do, um, but it takes, you know, hours. It, it takes uh, like 45 minutes for my kids to get home from school. That's literally 1.1 miles away. Um, huh. The kids on the other side of Gull Lake – uh, you know, get like door to door service and it's actually quite rapid and it just like, you know, the, the, the level of, uh, the, the amount of money we put into ensuring that these people all over the place get picked up and, and brought in, uh, is bizarre. At, at one point a few years ago, there was discussion of having pickup points. So instead of going, you know, on the far side of the lake, for example, door to door and picking up kids, you know, essentially 200 feet from their couch, uh, we would say there will be one stop at like this central place and then another stop at this central place as a way to speed up the route, make it more efficient, lower cost for the district. And, you know, in theory, shift money back into the classroom. Parents just had a total, total fit. We can't do this. I, I, you know, I can't bring my kid two miles to the drop-off point. You, you have to come and pick them up at my house. And I, I just, I, I find this to be crazy. You know, we, we struggle uh, to have enough resources in the classroom, yet we're shifting millions of dollars every year out of the classroom and into busing for really no good reason. For for to to support. Uh, the lifestyle of people who have largely chosen to live a long ways away from the school. And while I, you know, don't begrudge them, that's their choice. Uh, I, I don't know why that's a, a public policy issue that we need to subsidize. Well, on the other side of this coin, which we talked about last week, was that schools are now being built on the edge of town, far away from people's neighborhoods. So, you know, even if kids wanted to walk, you basically have to bus them or parents have to drive them because there's no way to easily and safely get there. Well, that that's the kind of absurd reversal of this is that now, now that we have busing the way we do, uh, the busing becomes a sunk cost. And when we are analyzing facilities, uh, we'll say, well, you know, facility A has this cost to keep facility B and, and renovate it has this cost. But because busing is a sunk cost that nobody questions and nobody can kind of crack or dig into in any way, we overlook the fact that building this brand new facility A way out on the edge of town is going to vastly increase our busing costs and, and, you know, and make us vulnerable to $4 gas and other things, which we have experienced here uh, Mm -hmm. in this district, where, you know, renovating that facility B, keeping that old school in that old neighborhood uh, gives us not only a lot more options, but, uh, you know, it, it allows us to lower those busing costs. It's- well, and also, of course, the new school on the edge of town requires all these new liabilities of pipes and roads and things if we're, if we're truly building in the middle of nowhere. But that's somebody else's budget. I mean, that's the point is that, right. you know, we, we built this school here. Here in my hometown, we built this school uh, – 
across the street from the family farm I grew up on, which, you know, is a long ways away from anywhere. And they ran millions of dollars of pipe uh, around this parcel, millions of dollars of roadway. Um, but the school district didn't, you know, paid for a little bit of that. But that that's the city. I mean, that's the city. My parents got like a $300,000 assessment for their share of it. Um, these costs were largely paid for by other people. Um, we're now talking about ripping down another neighborhood school here and building a school out on the edge. All of that infrastructure will not be paid by the school district. It'll be paid by somebody else. And it'll be a long-term liability for the city as well. So yeah, these are, it, it's, it, it's, it's like schools sit alone financially, yet everything they do financially, socially, uh, you know, culturally has such a massive impact on the community. It, it makes no sense that these decisions are as isolated as they are. And for anyone with kids, I mean, that's school is a huge part of your life while your kids are young. So I'm glad we were able to cover this topic on Strong Towns. You know, at first glance, it seems a little bit off topic for us. It, you know, it, it's not about streets and it's not about planning um, at first glance, but the way we approached it, we definitely, I think, tackled a lot of important, relevant Strong Towns issues here. My, uh, my youngest, um, my youngest bike to school today and she loves it. I, I mean, we, we got up this morning and we talked about it last night. I said, you biking to school tomorrow? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I love biking. And you know, we, we're in a place now where we can bike to school. It's a, a little over a mile. Like I said, she absolutely loves it. And at one point we're riding along and she's a nine year old. She does one of these looks at me and she goes, we like, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm just happy, you know? Yeah. And it, it, it's it, the joy that she has from being like more independent and having a greater ability to like make her own decisions it is fantastic. Well, it reminds me of this study that I recently saw, which is probably a little bit fluff and BS, but it, the headline was that people who start walking or biking to work versus driving experience a surge in emotional happiness that is equivalent to like falling in love with a new person. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I mean, that, it's probably not real science, but still, I mean, that, that does have an impact on your, your life and your emotional happiness. I, I, think. I have to say my, you know, we've lived in town now two months uh, as opposed to like way outside of town. And this was the first weekend where my kids actually started to understand the implications of, of where we lived. Um, Saturday morning, both kids, we, we had swimming lessons in the morning, got home. Uh, both kids were kind of, you know, milling around like, uh, you know, what, they weren't really getting along, weren't really seeing eye to eye, couldn't really agree on what to do or what to play with. And I mentioned to the youngest, I said, you know, uh, those girls up the street, maybe they want to play. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Oh, that's a great idea. So, um, she actually, you know, made that connection. Uh, they were going to go somewhere out to a corn maze and she wound up getting drug with them. Uh, their mom came and picked Stella up and took her out. So the other one's sitting home alone. And she said, I- I'm going to go see if Ellie, my other friend, you know, her friend up the street wants to play. All of a sudden we get this text from, uh, 
Ellie's mom, hey, Chloe's uh, going to stay here for a couple hours and play. And I looked at my wife and I said, this is exactly, you know, what I was hoping would happen is that these two girls now, instead of, uh, you know, sitting and, and arguing with each other or instead of, you know, biking down to the end of the cul-de-sac and back, which is essentially the range they had at our old house, mm-hmm. uh, now are finding that they can be kind of independent kids. And I, I think it's beautiful. I just love it. And you're, you know, you didn't have to go talk to their parents a week ago to plan this thing and drive them to their house. No, no. And I mean, we know the parents real well and, you know, they live just a couple blocks away, so it's not a big deal. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it is, it is the kind of life that I kind of had growing up as a kid and that my kids have not. And I'm, I'm starting to see them now develop it and it just, it makes me really happy for them. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, you started a new series that you called In the Neighborhood, Insights on Life in a Small Town. And um, I'm assuming that was sort of inspired by your move to this new house. Are you going to continue writing oh, uh, yes. that perspective soon? Yeah. In fact, I've got uh, yet tomorrow marked out on my calendar to do some speed studies uh, by my house. Because okay. um, we're going we're gonna to go all hierarchical road network. Um, I, I did a couple... A couple of weeks ago, the, the, that first piece I wrote was about my neighbor, the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I have to report, uh, today we're, we're finishing this up. I am going to bike home. And at lunch today, I have a meeting with the executive from the hospital. Wow. Uh, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to meet and chat. Uh, kind of a direct fallout from the, the thing that I wrote, which said I, I really want to meet them. Did you send that? to this person or did they find it independently? Uh, they found it independently. Yeah. Which huh. I, I, I kind of figured someone would get it to him. I mean, I, I don't know who to talk to over there. I'm, but yeah. I'm going to meet with like the C I think it's the COO or the CEO, one of the two, um, at lunchtime today, which would be really nice. I, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, I also have, uh, after we ran, uh, Paul Stewart's piece a, a couple of weeks ago, about the housing rehab work. Uh, I sent that also to all of my city council members and like the head of the HRA and a bunch of other people here. And now there's a couple groups that I'm going to be meeting with of people who are very interested in following up on this. So I'm going to chat a little bit about, you know, write a little bit about that too. Um, hopefully that grows into something as well. So, yeah. So let's talk about your piece from this morning, infrastructure spending for dummies. Um, This is actually one of the pieces that I have most appreciated out of the ones that you've written about infrastructure because you broke it down really simply. And you also brought back this great graphic on pipes and hydrants in Lafayette. Um, Yeah, tell me about this piece. Well, I didn't set out to actually – that wasn't the working title I had when I started. (laughs) Um, But I got done and I'm like, okay, what what I've done here is simplify this down quite a bit. So let me just write it like this. It's basically a a call for uh, strong towns advocates to be the the common sense people in their community. And and I want to kind of strengthen people's confidence in going out and talking about this stuff. And so I said, you know, there's, there's basically three facts that are indisputable that that we can go out and with confidence talk about the the first one is that growth is really easy it's very easy for cities to to grow and expand 
if you're willing to take on all the long-term liabilities, if you're willing to, to push those off in the future, if you're willing to borrow a bunch of money, you can experience growth today. That's, that's not a big, that's not a hard thing. Um, what's harder is fact number two, which is wealth creation is different than growth. And this is where the, the Lafayette stuff comes in. I mean, we, we show pretty clearly that, you know, Lafayette has grown in population. They've grown in land area. They've grown in the uh, amount of pipe in the ground and the amount of hydrants they have. They've experienced lots of growth. But when we actually look at the wealth that they build in the community, it's, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't even come close. It's not measuring up. And then the third point I, I wanted people to just feel confident in is that, you know, as you grow, as you take on these liabilities, they are yours. Um, it might seem like a free pipe today. It might seem like a free road. The federal government, the state governments might rain infrastructure money down on us here in, in the coming months, uh, as everybody's kind of promising they're going to do. But at the end of the day, this stuff is yours. And, uh, you know, I, I made reference to a poison gift, which is a post I wrote way back in, I think, 2010. Um, you know, these are, these are exchanges we make, and uh, they, they have long-term consequences. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to help people be able to communicate this to their neighbors and people in their community so that when, when this money does start to flow, when we do get into the next congressional session and, uh, and you know, stimulus money is allocated or however it comes out, uh, we are actually intellectually ready as a movement to have some cities not succumb to kind of the same old paradigm but actually do something different, something worthwhile, something that's going to make their place stronger. So as part of this infrastructure conversation, we're going to be conducting several interviews with local and national leaders on this topic. But Chuck, do you think you'll do a uh, solo podcast on this topic, perhaps? At least one. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people that we've got scheduled to interview and, and talk about some of these things. And I, I really... I, I want to, and, and the posts I've been doing this month on this topic, I've been trying to get people a, a very deep understanding of it. But yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, we also need to just simplify this down. Uh, and I've, I've, I've talked about this for many years. I, I think we're at the point now where I can do like a nice wrap-up podcast and really simplify this down for people. So yeah, that, that will be coming this fall yet. And in the meantime, for our podcast listeners, while you're waiting for those uh, interviews to start coming out, uh, I would definitely recommend checking out what Chuck has already written on this topic on our website. Just go to strongtowns.org slash infrastructure, and we've got all our stories posted there. Well, and tomorrow morning, I'm actually going to uh, release a thing that I was actually, what, what came out today was the intro to tomorrow's piece. And it's actually going to be one long one. But I got to this point, I'm like, this is a good place to stop. This actually feels yeah. like a good. But tomorrow I'm going to talk about this, um, the, 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 this paradigm where we equate save travel time and reduce wear and tear on vehicles with money. Um, mm -hmm. We've talked about this a few times, but when we do uh, these financial analyses and cost-benefit analyses with projects will say things like, or, or when the American Society of Engineers releases a report, they'll say things like, you know, congestion causes 
uh, all this damage to people, and they'll put it in dollar terms. Billions of dollars lost. Billions lost, yeah. And they, they put it in dollars terms, and what they're doing is they're translating you know, 30 seconds of your time and 45 seconds of someone else's time. They're translating these very small increments of time into dollar terms. And, you know, when you aggregate a lot of people uh, over a very long period of time, these are huge sums of money. Uh, what I'm going to point out is the reciprocal of that. We never, as part of these analyses, look and say, okay, um, how much time is lost due to uh, construction delays? So, you know, I'm driving to the airport. I always check the GPS on my way down to the airport because where's the construction delay going on today? And I want to make sure I avoid that. And this time of year, it's everywhere it's, all the time. It's everywhere all the time. Um, construction delays never factor into the cost-benefit analysis of a project. We, we never say... Uh, you know, on one hand, we say, okay, we're going to save you 30 seconds a day on your commute. And because there's 50,000 people who get 30 seconds a day saved, you know, multiplied by 365 days a year, multiplied by 50 years, multiplied by $30 an hour, it's a huge sum of money. We never turn around and say, all right, but during construction, uh, we're going to delay 20,000 people, you know, 10 minutes a day. <laughs> um, you know, for the next one year and here's how much that's going to cost and, and that offsets this rather modest, you know, we, we never do that math. We never, when we put in a new traffic signal, say, well, or new interchange, this is going to slow traffic and cause this amount of delay and here's the cost for that. Um, we only do it in terms of benefits. And, and why? Why is that? Well, the reason's pretty clear. We're not, really, we're not really interested in these numbers in like the real mathematical value. Like We're not doing this math in order to make some type of uh, engineering-type calculation on what the best place to spend our money is. This is just propaganda math. This is just math used uh, to justify building more projects. It's, it's, it is purely propaganda. And I, I want people to be able to understand that because what is going to happen once the infrastructure money starts to flow is that we're going to be inundated with all of these reports about how beneficial infrastructure spending is. And really, uh, we are just making our cities weaker, financially more fragile, and uh, we're, we're literally driving them into bankruptcy with this propaganda narrative that we've got to get beyond. Well, if you want to continue this conversation with Chuck on infrastructure spending, um, join us tomorrow, Tuesday, the 20th, for a Slack chat at 2.30 p.m. Central. Just log on to Slack, and we'll uh, keep talking about this. We've been having a lot of fun on Slack, haven't we? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty amazing resource for us, I, I think. How many people do we have signed up now? I mean, we... we... We started this earlier this year, and I think we started with like 40 people, and now we're up to 420. Wow. Yeah. And quite a few are active, too. You know, it's not just like five or ten people on there all the time. There are probably 
30 to 50 people who log on regularly. So. Oh, and there's, there's 73 channels right now. And I mean, I'm, I'm only subscribed Something to like, for everyone. yeah, I'm only subscribed to like 30 channels and, oh yeah, I can't keep up with them. Yeah. I've got like tons of stuff, you know, that I'm looking at and, uh, yeah, there's, you know, three times that number of conversations going on. It's, it's pretty amazing. Have you done any interesting reading or podcast listening lately? You know, I was, I, I told my wife this weekend, I said, I have been doing a lot less audiobooks. Uh, I've been doing a lot more physical reading, but a lot fewer audiobooks since we moved. And the reason is that I, I no longer have, you know, 50 minutes round trip commute. I have, uh, you know, three minutes on four minutes on bike. And mm-hmm. it, it's amazing how that really cuts into the, uh, you know, uh, the, like the trip to the grocery store, the trip to the hardware store, all these things are like less than five minutes now. If I drive, if I bike they're you know, about the same really. Uh, so I, I find myself listening to a lot less. That being said, um, last week I had downloaded one of the great courses series mm-hmm. on, uh, understanding the mysteries of human behavior it's a psychology course. And, and I got through it uh, on my trip last week to Salt Lake City and back. This blew my mind. I mean, just the, 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 just the bizarre things that humans, the, the, the way that we're wired. And uh, it, it, it just kind of went into kind of the quirks of human behavior. And, you know, talked about the genetic effects and the cultural effects and, uh, you know, why we do the things we do. I actually just downloaded this weekend uh, the latest book by Colin Woodward called American Character. Uh, it, it is kind of a follow-up to American Nations. The, the, the subtitle of the book is A History of the Epic Struggle Between Individual Liberty and the Common Good. And I'm going to start that one this week. That was recommended to me by a, a couple of people. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to dig into that one. His book, American Nations, was... Transformative oh, for me, yeah. yeah. I've that one. Oh yeah, it, you, you can't go wrong. That's a fantastic book. Well, I think we should wrap it up for today. Uh, but again, everyone should join us for that Slack chat tomorrow, and we'll have another podcast for you on Thursday. Hopefully, if this one turns out, <laughs> cross your fingers. <laughs> okay, thanks everyone. Take care. Thanks, Rachel. Take care, everybody. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.